Welcome to the podcast where we share stories of resilience, strength, and personal growth. We are dedicated to showcasing individuals who have overcome various traumas in their lives, whether they are physical, emotional, mental, or financial, and have emerged on the other side stronger, wiser, and living their best lives. We believe that their unique journey and the valuable lessons they have learned along the way greatly resonate with our audience. Their story has the potential to touch the hearts of many and serve as a beacon of hope for those who may be facing similar hardships. This is Butler's Babble. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Butler's Babble, where we try to empower, motivate, and inspire people to be living the best lives that they can possible. I just want to give a little cliff notes now as uh, this will be our very first episode that is not actually being live streamed live as we shoot it. We have now changed formats. For those that don't know, we've changed now to uh, pre-recording these interviews for a couple reasons. Um, one main reason is for bandwidth and internet, it makes a better quality video and audio for you guys to experience. We don't have to worry about if internet cuts out in the middle of an episode and we have to scrap the episode while we're doing live. So that's a great thing. We can record it, have it ready to go and upload it for you guys to see at your own leisure. The other reason for it is it will allow us now to bring you more episodes of Butler Babel because now we can record more episodes per week with other people bringing their, their traumas and stories to you. And we'll be able to bring you more at a time instead of just doing one a week or one every couple of weeks. So we're, we're excited about this. It's a new format. We hope you enjoy it. And you'll still be able to comment and ask questions through the, the chat panels. But this way, we can bring you more and more uh, interesting stories from interesting people around the globe. So um, without uh, any more babbling from myself, let let you know about our guest for today. Our guest today um, moved to Canada when, in back in 1969, and she's the author of "Dealing with the Early or Dealing with Early Onset Alzheimer's, um, Love, Laughter, and Tears." Uh, an amazing book. I just got this a couple weeks ago. I haven't had a chance to read it, but I've, I've skimmed through it, and a lot of information in here. Hope you go out and check it out. We'll talk about the book a little bit later on. But enough talk of my talking. Why don't we bring her on here? Today's guest we have author Sonia Disher. Sonia, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us today and sharing your story. Thank you. So for those who don't know you or haven't read your book yet, why don't you give us a little history on who Sonia is, where you grew up, uh, the, the moving to Canada, and just a little bit more background about Sonia herself. Okay. Um, Algoma Steele from Sault Ste. Marie came to England looking for tradesmen, and my father was a welder and plater. And he got the job and they brought us over in 69. I was 10. And we moved to Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, so I went into grade five then. I met Steve, my husband, in grade seven. Um, really wasn't attracted to him then because I was only young and he was <laughs> up to my shoulder. He was short, you know. <laughs> but when we went into high school, he shot right up and we started dating as soon as I turned 16. And... Uh, we got married just before we turned 21. Okay. So I played uh, baseball and volleyball and that is So school. as a kid, you were more of an athletic then, or were you more of the well, academic or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. I didn't really consider myself athletic, but I enjoyed doing the sports. So, um, and he played hockey and football in high school. And so, yeah, we were pretty active. We had a lot of friends. And 
So you were you you're more of like me, like an extrovert. You were or you were just a popular kid. You're just anybody came around, you played with them. You weren't like an introvert staying at home all the no, time. No, I wasn't no, I wasn't an introvert. Um I wasn't you know how you'd say the popular kids. <laughs> but, I, know uh, I had lots of uh, friends and so did Steve. Uh, he's a, he was a social butterfly and I didn't consider myself a social butterfly, but I think when my parents used to go and get the teacher interview, I was always um, commented that I talked a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I wonder where I've heard that before. Yeah, I know. My kids did too. So, yeah, no, I was the same way said, growing up. I was the type that I wasn't the popular, but I wasn't in with the non-popular kids. I sort of was friends with everybody. Yeah, I talked to everybody, and same thing. My parents would be called, uh, not called, but you go to the student, the parent teacher interviews all the time, yes. and oh, no, John's doing very well. He can excel a bit more in this if he tried, or this and that. But one thing we got to get is he's, he likes to chatter a lot. He's talking yes. to kids inside him, and uh, yeah, he's just. He likes to talk, 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 talk. Maybe right. that's why I'm good at what I do here. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so when you moved to Canada, whereabouts in Canada did you say you moved into? To Saint Marie. To Saint Marie. Okay. So yeah. we're. How long were you in Sault Saint Marie? Uh, till Steve joined the military in 1980. And oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So when you moved here in 1969, were were you in school by that time or no? Yes, I was in grade five. You're in grade five. Okay. So, yeah. so that must've been a bit of a culture shock then moving from England to here in grade five, because it's two totally different places. Right. Um, I made friends easy because everybody, everybody wanted me to talk and hear my accent at the time. <laughs> I was trying to get their accent because Canadians had an accent to me. So I was trying to talk like them. Uh, so I, I met a lot of people that way. The, the one thing I did note was we had, done math short division all the time mm -hmm. and i had a test one time and there was 10 questions on it and i got zero but i was good in math and i took it home and showed my dad and he said these are all right he said just ask why you got a zero and i hadn't seen them do long division and yeah. that's why i didn't do it their way okay. so you I just came up with the answer yeah i just did it the short division like i always yeah. did and so i, I had to learn that that was the hard part for me growing up with division all the time, doing that, the long division and the minus this and that. Yeah, I was, that was my hard thing, but, uh, but you, you obviously were pretty intelligent. You were able to just answer them easily, I guess. Yeah. And so I just had to learn to put all the work down on the side, yeah. like they were doing. And, and I didn't have a problem after that, but I, they hadn't told me that it was different, yeah. you know, just. Had you ever done long division before or you just didn't no. know how to do it? Okay. No, I'd never done it. But, um, and I think my schooling over there was a little bit of a head uh -huh. of what it was in grade five. I'd already done all that stuff before. So I found the first year here really easy. And then, okay. so it was good. Yeah. Well, it's funny too, because you say you were trying to get the Canadian accent because they all want you to speak. Because now I would have never known you came from England because you don't really have that English accent. Only if I get mad, it comes out. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> or if I'm around my family, it, it yeah. just comes back automatically. Um, I, in fact, when my kids were little, if I was telling them off, they'd stand and grin at me. And then I'd get mad because they're grinning at me telling them off. But it was because I was my accent came out and they were grinning at that. I found that out after the fact, though. <laughs> so, but if I answer the phone and it's my family in England, it just comes right back. You just talk like they do. 
Oh, like exactly. No, I can, yeah. I can understand that. I was actually, I do another podcast on the side and we were filming some episodes last night. And, um, and it's funny because the two ladies were from California, uh, my co-host that hosts it with me and our guest. And when it was all said and done, we were talking a little bit after and all they could do was make fun of my Canadian accent, apparently, because just the way I was saying certain things, uh, they were just sitting there and repeating it to me and laughing. And so all in jest, of course. You know how they always uh, tease us about saying A? Yep. When I go down to Arizona, they're always teasing about A. And I didn't realize that I do it. Yeah, I, I don't either. I down the street one day doing my walk and I passed these people and I said, beautiful day, isn't it, eh? And I caught myself and I thought, I didn't even know I do that. I've done that many times where I've had people in the past tell me that from the States. And it's funny because one of the girls from last night, she was from Arizona, actually. She lives in Arizona and the other is California. But I get that all the time. I grew up as a bodybuilding fitness photographer back in the 90s. And I had some friends from New York and Detroit that we were shooting with. And every time we were talking, they said, yeah, we can tell you're from Canada by the way you talk. Because you always say, hey. And I don't, like you said, you don't realize it. And then... You sit back and you listen to yourself sometimes like, oh, my God, I do say that a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. And the way Try we say it about and to not stuff like that. About, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Out and about. Out and about, yeah. They used to say, we used to say, out and about. And I'm like, I don't say a boot. I don't say that, no. <laughs> no. That, that's don't. how they hear it, I guess. They exaggerate it, I think. Yeah. So, so then you can tell, like, it says even on your bio that you grew up with a bubbly personality. You can tell that that's the case. Now, that's why everybody, of course... I've loved hanging out with you. Uh, so you, you're a great vibe. So junior high through here, you're, you're going really well. Um, then you hit high school. And like you said, you're getting into sports and that. Were you like on teams or anything? Or To play uh, the basketball and the volleyball and baseball. Um, Steve was into the football and the hockey. Yeah. And so I'd go out there and cheer him on. Cool. My, minor sports or more through school? Just through school. Well, he played it outside of school as well. I didn't, mm-hmm. just just in school. And then I used to sing solos. You know, I, I think it was Kiwanis. It, they'd had solos every year that you'd go and compete. So I did that, not in high school, but in grade school. And okay. uh, I used to like doing that. That's very cool. So you go through high school, you, you graduate. And right. uh, what kind of a path did you go? Like, I know you said... Uh, your husband went into the military. Did he go right after school? Right after school was finished, or well, he started working before school was finished at the steel plant. Okay. And one Christmas, he actually got gassed. He was in the gas ovens, at the coke ovens, and got gassed when he was coming off shift, and was pretty sick. So the guy going on shift ended up in hospital. So he worked there for a while, and he joined the military so that he'd have a, a career. Okay. Um, I worked in. Um, a store that did picture framing. I actually cut the frames and the glass and stretched needle points and did the matting. I, I made the picture frames okay. and I enjoyed doing that. Um, and then I went back to school. Once we moved, I went back to school for administrative assistant. And okay. when we got here in Petawawa, I uh, started working at Atomic Energy then. Okay. Doing that, which is now called CNL, of course. Yes, Canadian Nuclear Laboratories or Laboratories, I guess. Yes, like. yes. So I I started out as an, an admin assistant there, and worked my way into project control coordinator, scheduling and resource loading all the engineering jobs across the site, okay. which I love doing. And for people out there that are not from this area that don't know CNL or AECL that used to be called Atomic Energy, um, yes, it's the one of the I think top three, if I'm not mistaken, nuclear 
plants in the world, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did a lot of the uh, nuclear isotopes for cancer, yep. uh, cancer treatments. And we before they took the reactor offline, they had to make sure that there was a backup reactor that would take over doing that because mm -hmm. we were the only ones. We did 90% of the world's yes. um, isotopes. And I was always told, like, I have friends because it's just about a half an hour from where we live here because you're right. just you're in the same town as me here, um, Pembroke, Ontario. And uh, um, a lot of my friends who work there, basically, when they got hired on, they were basically told that you basically got a job here for life as long as you're employed here. Because even if for some reason they've got to close that plant down, it's still going to be open for 10, 20, 30 years because with all the nuclear stuff in that area they have to be able to clean it decommission up properly, it. yeah and decommission it. and, that, and that's right. that's not something that just happens overnight or over a year or two i mean it's going to no. take years and years for them to be able to decommission a place like that so right even if you got hired now and then they close shop tomorrow you'd still have a job for years because uh, it's a good secure job to get if you can get it yes i loved it um and it was a pension you know, mm -hmm. I was there right until after Steve passed away, and then I retired yeah. early. Okay. So at that time, is that when you got on at CNL, is that when he went into the military? Or? Oh, no, it was after that. He got into the military about <laughs> three weeks after we got married. Okay. He was gone for three months, boot camp. I thought my world fell apart because he was gone <laughs> all of a sudden. Um, so he did his three months on the East Coast, and then we went to North Bay. He had the Omni job training there. And I just around the I 80s, 90s, in the 80s, yeah. In, the 80s. in fact, 1980. Okay, yeah. And so I got a job there working at, um, I took over managing a record store in the mall, and okay. I also worked a second job at Mike's Milk. Yep. And he took a second job at Mike's Milk. So when I was working, he washed the floors and filled the freezers. And when he was working, I would do that for him and <laughs> just kept busy. We didn't have kids, so it just kept busy. and started saving exactly. but then he went so, from there he went down to do his um training and i stayed behind in north bay and he'd come back and forth on weekends okay and, he, and then he got posted to winnipeg once he'd finished his training so we went there for four years and that's where our children were born okay and you have two children yes uh, tanya and, Ryan and tanya yeah which one's older tanya and is older okay so you had tanya and how old was she when ryan was Two. two. So there's only two years apart. So that's actually a good age. Yeah. Uh, my daughters are six years apart. So there's always that little friction between them because at certain ages, the youngest one wants to be with her older sister and hang out with her and her friends. And she's like, I can't handle you. You're too young. But two yes. years is not too bad. No, two years was good. Yeah. And, and Steve was. Protective ones? You know, it went back and forth. I remember I was thinking about this the other day. She was riding her bike uh, in our neighborhood. Yeah. And Ryan was only three. She was five. And this boy was picking on Tanya. And Ryan got off his tricycle and ran across with his fists up. Don't hit my <laughs> sister. <laughs> so I said, don't fight. You're not allowed to fight. And then a few days later, I come home from work and he was sitting on the grass and some kid was hitting on, on his head. And he yeah. wasn't doing a thing because he wasn't allowed to fight. So I said, oh, don't start a fight, but just stick up for yourself. Exactly. So he got up, took off after the kid. The kid <laughs> ran home and he's banging on the door. <laughs> That's hilarious. And a lot of people don't know that you and I met through your daughter, Tanya, because Tanya's That's a good right. friend of mine. We've known each other for years. I've seen her pictures and that. So um, so they were born, in, you were living in Winnipeg at the time. Yes. Yeah. So how long were you in Winnipeg? 
Four years. Four years, okay. So yeah. the posting there, basically. Yes, yeah. And then we really only had the two postings, Winnipeg and then Petawawa. Okay. We was working on little jets in Winnipeg, and when we came to Petawawa, he switched over to helicopters. Okay. So he was attached to the Army, but with the helicopters. So he has family here, but your family, other than your parents that moved you here, the rest of your family is back home in, That's right. in the UK there. That's right. Okay. So do you get to go back every now and then and visit? or do you Well, until anything? COVID, yeah, I still know them all, and they come and visit once in a while. It's not enough, you know. No, true. Once COVID hit, I didn't want to go over because the numbers were really high. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to go over in the next year or two. And um, we took my granddaughter, Alicia, Tanya's daughter, over when she was um, eight months old. And then again, when she was a little bit older, I took her over. My cousin was getting married. So we went over there and I took Steve with us. And he was sick at the time. So she was a wonderful help. Like, oh, good. Yeah, good. Yeah, I can see that with her. So you, you, you're there for four years. You get posted to Petawawa. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a bit of a culture shock because... Uh, Sault Ste. Marie, and then Winnipeg, kind of bigger cities and stuff yes. like that. And then you moved to Petawawa. I know my, it was a culture shock for me when I moved here, being from Toronto area, and uh, Brampton, just outside of Toronto, big cities. And then you moved to Petawawa, and it's a small town. Well, when we were in Winnipeg, he'd go away on the occasional um, course, which was a few weeks. When we got to Petawawa, it seemed like he was gone all the time. Oh. Out in the field and going to alert for six weeks and going on six months tours yep. and I, I remember the first time he was going out in the field he said i just need some money to take with me um for beer and i said <laughs> beer i said i thought when you go on the field you're eating bugs and drinking stream water not beer yeah, he was exactly like i was expecting but yeah it was funny it was a yeah, culture shock for sure i know my sister-in-law when she was married with her first husband he used to get so mad at her because uh he was in the dragoons, which is the tanks and stuff like that. And they would go, like you said, on course. And she always, for some reason, I don't know if she did it on purpose or if it was just a coincidence. But every time he had to go for course, the night before he left and they had dinner, she always made sure they had like flax oil or flax seeds or whatever, flax, whatever, in his meals. It could have been coincidence or maybe she did it on purpose. And he kept telling her, don't do that ever again because oh. it's not like you have like bathrooms everywhere. No, and, no. <laughs> So she, I think she started doing that on purpose. Maybe. Yeah, maybe she was doing that on purpose. <laughs> exactly. Like, don't you ever do that again. No. Um, so you're posted here for four years. Now, did you know anybody when you moved here? Because I know in the no. living here in a military town, sometimes postings, you know people from previous postings that maybe moved here ahead of time and things like no, that. No, absolutely so nobody. No. Okay. So did you live on base or did you? Yes, we're on? in the PMQs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so you get to meet people fast because you're right Definitely. close by and military community so you meet everybody definitely so things are going well things are going good but this time where you're posted 40 so you probably got what late 80s early 90s by this yeah. time we moved here in 85 okay Petawawa and, and he's in with the helicopters and that when did the some of the stuff started happening was it shortly after that or was it long after no that? um he we got married when we were 20 yep. um he got diagnosed when he was 50 and looking back i i can see that there was problems a few years before we noticed really but at the time you don't know because i mean i go downstairs and forget what i came for it's a fine line between something's wrong with you or it's something normal you know exactly 
So you thought just that he was just being forgetful, things like this, just like yeah. normal everyday people. I do that to myself. I'm 50, yeah. I'll be 51. And, um, and there's times where you walk in the kitchen, he's like, what did I walk in here for again? That's you don't right, think anything yeah. of it, of course. And so no. when did you start thinking that, okay, there could be something more than just him being forgetful? Well, looking back, one of the examples I've got is we were going through the Tim Hortons drive through and I, I was telling him what I wanted. He wanted me to go in and get the stuff. I said, no, just go through the drive. Well, then you order it. And looking back, he couldn't remember. So he didn't want to look silly. He knew something was wrong then, and I didn't. So I had to yell across him to place the order. But at the time, I didn't know that was the, the reason. Uh, the, the one thing that really stood out was I had asked him one Christmas to go outside and unplug the tree lights out of the extension cord and plug them directly into the house so we'd have an extra extension cord. And he just looked blank. And I said, did you hear what I said? And he said, no. So I repeated it. And he was still blank. I said, Steve, you don't know what I'm saying, do you? And he said, no. So I I don't know why, but I just said, I'm going to look this up on the internet. And I looked up a memory test. Yeah. And it came with a scoring sheet. And when I looked it over, I thought, he's not going to have a problem with this. It looks so easy. And I gave him the test, and he was willing to take it, and he got really bad on it. 13 out of 30 or 13 out of 50, I can't remember what it was okay. exactly. And we both knew something was wrong and burst into tears. And I, I had a doctor, but he didn't because he just got out of the military, and he, was, he got out to go in the reserves so that we could have the farm. Okay. And, and then he got a job at Atomic Energy after that. Um, and I, I had a doctor, he didn't because he just got out of the military. So I called my doctor to see if he would take Steve on. And he said, no, he was full. So I said, well, I need an appointment for me then. So I took Steve with me. And when we okay. got there, I said, this isn't for me, it's for him. And you either need to take him on or find me somebody. And I showed him the test and he took him on immediately and got all the different doctors that we needed to see lined up for us. Okay. And is it, was it more that um, when you would say something to him, he automatically would just forget what you said? Or is it more he didn't know what you were saying or didn't understand because he forgot? Like when you say, take the extension cord, unplug the lights and plug it right into the house, he didn't know what you were talking about because he didn't remember I what the extension cord was or something? Or is it just that you said it and then within a split second, he forgot what you said? I think it's um, a mixture. One of them, he started losing what the word was. Okay. Um, and if you give him multiple thoughts in one sentence, like we speak naturally in compound sentences. And somebody with dementia or Alzheimer's um, can't understand that. You have to give short sentences that's a one thought at a time. Otherwise, they just lose it. If I said, here, could you put the ketchup in the fridge and then go get the roast out of the freezer? He would have been lost. He wouldn't know where to start. If I had said, could you put this in the fridge? He would be able to do that okay. and then give him another task. Uh, so I think it was a mixture at that time. I had given him a multiple thing to do. So if you would have said, just unplug the lights from the extension cord, he would have been able he might to have do done that. that. Yeah. And then say, okay, now that. take that and plug it in. So you had to do it each one had, separately. Yeah. Right. So of course that, that's got to get frustrating for you. Plus how old were your children roughly around this time? Well, that was 2017, so 
Well, they were young adults. Yeah, yeah, this would have been like, uh, what, seven years ago, roughly? Well, he passed away six six years ago, so 12 years ago. So, yeah, they were in So, they would have been in their, like, 20s, 30s, things like that, yeah. Yeah. So, so this has got to be rough on them, too. Yeah, it was, both of them. It was was terrible. It's like being hit in the head with a bat. You're looking at this man, and he looks like there's nothing wrong. Yeah. And one day you're talking to him, and everything's fine, and the next day you've got a diagnosis that... Yeah. is a life sentence you know so it's almost like an adult trapped in like a little child's body right or, uh, sorry a child an adult's body trapped in a child's Mind. brain kind of because right. he's relearning things almost from the start again right i i paid for a full day of neuropsych testing because we needed to know what it was mm-hmm. and it's awful to say but we were kind of hoping that there was some tumor there that they could take out and he'd be fine this was the worst case scenario and the neuropsych testing, I got the results back and I didn't understand them. Mm-hmm. So the, the geriatric specialist that we were seeing, she, she said, did you get this explained to you? And I said, no. And they test you based on your age, your education level. Um, so I, a normal person I would think would be in the 80 percentile if, mm-hmm. if everything's good. And every area of his brain was already affected, and he was less than two percentile. Okay. I don't know how he functioned, but he did, yeah. you know. And so it gave us a, a basis of where we're going to start and what we're going to do. And nobody, that's that's really why I wrote the book. Nobody told me what I had coming, how to yeah. deal with different things that came up, and it was like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Today's fine, and I'm used to it. Tomorrow is something different, and I've got to get used to that new normal. Mm-hmm. And it was really frustrating and scary. Oh, for sure. Now, was this um, what you started realizing what was going on? Was it a fast progression, or did it just go slowly over time? Or, well, when you get early onset Alzheimer's, it's it doesn't mean that it's early stages. It means that you got it at an early age, mm-hmm. and when you get it at an early age, it's very aggressive. Somebody that gets it later on in life can live for years with it. Uh, But when we went to the geriatric specialist, my question to her was, how do I know when he can't be alone? Uh And she she didn't answer the question. She just said, he'll have a maximum of six years to live. I burst into tears and he didn't say a word. And I couldn't understand why he wasn't reacting. But... Steve was very easygoing and why worry about something you can't change? That's, that yeah. was his philosophy in life. And I said, yeah, but this is your life, yeah. our life, you know, and it's changed drastically. What are we going to do? I've still got to work because we had bills. Like, how are we going to do this? Atomic and energy. Any... Sorry. Atomic energy was wonderful. Cause I went back and I said, we have to tell your boss. Yeah. And he said, I knew, noticed that something was wrong, and I thought Steve didn't like his job anymore. Mm. Uh, but now that we know that, and I, I begged them to keep him on. Yeah. Because we needed to get our finances straightened out to see how I was going to manage. Yeah. And they did keep him for a year. They adjusted his job. I mean, he would take the garbage out. He would photocopy. He would do any little task that he was capable of because they had to be careful for safety reasons on a nuclear sure. site. Yeah, be, and sure. I was in the deep river office. So that was off site. 
So they allowed him to come up there and um, he lasted a year and then they called me into the conference room and I knew yeah. because he was getting, I had noticed at home, he couldn't hang a coat on a coat hanger. Okay. And so I knew that that's what was coming. And I said, please don't tell him, let me tell him. Mm-hmm. And they did. They were very, very good. So for that year, they moved him over to where you are because I guess he'd have to go into work with you every day because yes. he can drive himself there. Oh, they took his license right away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so, and I, I don't think people realize when it comes to Alzheimer's, they, everybody just naturally relegates Alzheimer's with, oh, well, just loss of memory. and You just can't remember things. They don't realize how serious it is and that it can cause death from just oh, Alzheimer's yes. itself and because yes. it's doing something to the brain. So yeah, your brain is with Alzheimer's. Yeah, maybe give them a little background on Alzheimer's. Yeah. Well, not not a background, but you know what I mean. Just... Yeah, it gets like plaque and tangles in the brain, which causes it to misfire. That's the memory and knowing how to do things. Um, but it also your brain works your whole body. Your your body starts shutting down. It doesn't know how to breathe. It doesn't know how to do things, um, and that's why. Um, and I guess that's a good lead into this fall when I go down to Arizona, I was introduced to a dementia task force down there and they're going to allow me to have the Alzheimer's experience where they, they fit you up with headphones. So you've got background, they tape your fingers, they make it so that, and put the glasses on so that you don't see properly like they don't. And I'm looking forward to that. I've put a video on my website Uh and it's a newscaster that accompanies a man whose mother has Alzheimer's and they let them both go through the experience and they're only doing it for like eight minutes and they're in tears at the end of it, doing normal tasks and they can't understand and they can't do it. And it's, I'm looking forward to doing the experience myself. Definitely. And there's the video for people that do want to go to it. It's on uh, YouTube called Experience 12 Minutes in Alzheimer's Dementia. That's basically like, like you're saying. They, they basically situate you up to basically kind of get the idea of what it would be like to have Alzheimer's, even though you're not technically going to be able to get the full experience of being um, having Alzheimer's dementia. But at least it gives you that kind of, you can think that if it makes you feel the way it does with what they're doing, you can imagine what somebody really going through it is going through. I know, they're going through this. Worse. All day long, every day, we're experiencing it for that short period of time. And it's a matter of whether you can hear them properly, understand them properly or what they want you to do and knowing how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at it, you'll you'll understand It give you a better understanding and compassion for the people that are doing this. No, definitely. And, and I'm not going to play it here because it is about eight minutes long. So people right. can go and check it out. I'm going to show your website here, too, because people, if they want to see that video, they can go to your website and they can uh, get to the link. It's right on the main page there, your welcoming screen. You just scroll down uh, under uh, right where there's a big tree on your website there. Picture of a big tree, which is like the cover of your book, of course. And it says, thank you for visiting. If they scroll down, they'll see the YouTube link right there. If you click on that, right. it'll take you to it. So if you, It's just sonyadisher.com and uh, you can check it out. And uh, well, no, definitely, I think you're going to, it's going to be something different for you to experience. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm hoping that I can get somebody to videotape me going through it and then I'll post it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's really, and I noticed a difference in Steve's sight too. Um, it was like he had glasses like this because if you approached him 
straight on, he could see you. But if you came in from the sides, he couldn't. So it's, and it started deteriorating fast. At the beginning, he would feel the chair before he sat down. Okay. And if he didn't feel it, he'd miss it. So his okay. depth perception was going already. Yes. You know. And then, so this basically, he, he was diagnosed around 50. Yes. And he, when he passed away, he was what, 51, 52? 56, 56. Oh, 56. So it lasted for about six years. So just getting yeah. periodically just worse and worse to the point where, was he getting to the point where he wasn't remembering you or your kids? Or No, I was actually blessed with that. I took him, I tried everything under the sun to get him better. And yeah. one of the things I tried was stem cell treatments in the States. Okay. The first one, first one we had to go to Mexico, and then the, the next four, um, I took him to the States, the same company. but um, And the first one was like a miracle because he was following me around and didn't talk to our friends, didn't want to do anything. And after that, like within three days, he was talking to everybody at the campsite okay. and had all kinds of energy. And I, I really think that that kept him remembering me plus i mean he saw me every single day True. and he knew our kids and everything um and even at the end when i put him in a nursing home for the last two years it wasn't because he was aggressive or anything it was because he was running and i think he was thinking he was going on a military run that was okay. ingrained in him yep. and it was getting a safety issue you know, sure. I, he couldn't dress himself. So if he had done that in the wintertime and got out, he would have froze. Mm -hmm. And he was going to the highway, Highway 41 all the time. So, you know, could have got hit by a car. But yeah. That's one of the things that used to aggravate me. It, uh, the first thing people think of is be careful because he's going to get aggressive. Mm -hmm. And there are so many different people that have the dementia and the Alzheimer's and they don't get aggressive. That is not the norm. And that used to upset me. And I think if you can put this in your mind, that if you have a friend that has a loved one that's been diagnosed, please don't say, watch out, they're going to get aggressive. You love that person. You don't want to hear that they're going to get aggressive. And you're not, you're not stupid. If they start getting aggressive, you'll do something about it. Sure. But don't label them right away. No. You know, and... And I think yeah. we've all been through that kind of an experience. Like I know with my, uh, um, my dad, with his, his mom, my grandmother, um, we used to go to her house all the time and uh, visit with my dad, my mom and my brothers. And we'd be playing cards and all that stuff. And while the adults were doing their thing and that, um, very, she was a very caring lady. She was, we were always, uh, we knew her very well. And then, uh, as she got older in years and into her eighties, I think, I don't know if she made it or not. I think she was in her eighties. And again, she, we had to put her into, well, we didn't, my dad and his brother, my uncle there, they had to put her into a senior's home because they couldn't just, nobody could take care of her anymore. She had her own house in Lindsay. They had to sell the house, put her in one right. close to my uncle so that he was close by. And it used to upset my dad because my uncle, of course, got to see her more often because she was close by to him. But whenever my dad would go to visit, she didn't know who he was. And, uh, of course, at the time, he didn't say anything. But then when he leaves the senior's home, of course, it did bother him. And there was times yeah. where he was just very upset because he's like, my own mom doesn't even recognize who I am. I know. There was a nurse at the nursing home whose her mother was there mm -hmm. with dementia or Alzheimer's. And she didn't know her. Yeah. And she said, I'm living with the thought that she doesn't know who I am. She doesn't know I'm her daughter, but she likes me. 
she likes me as a person. And her eyes would light up because it was a familiar person coming to visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just didn't relate that it was her daughter. And I think you just have to get in another mindset that yeah. they're not doing it because they don't like you. Um, they don't and they're have not trying to hurt you. Yeah. No, they're not trying to hurt you. And they might say things that are hurtful and they don't mean them. You know, and it's hard to get over that, but um, you just have to remember that they're still in there somewhere. Yeah, because my, my wife's while, you'll get a spark. Yeah, my wife's grandfather the same way. He was in one of the um, senior homes here, and we would go visit him, and he would look at her and I and my one daughter, and he's like, "And you are?" And she's like, "I'm your granddaughter, Grandpa." And oh yeah, and this is oh, it's my husband John, and um, and then. He would go on about, um, uh, oh yeah, he goes, uh, and she goes, my da- my my dad is your son Raymond. Oh yeah, how's Raymond doing? I haven't seen him. I haven't been to Eganville in a while. I gotta go back to Eganville because I gotta get my bike. We gotta go for get my bike. They won't let me have my bike, so I can go back home to Eganville. He hadn't lived in Eganville in probably like twenty years. Yeah, he I was know. living here, but he still had him in his brain that he lived in Eganville, and the people here were being mean because they wouldn't give him his bike so he can drive. Uh, back home, get right. home in Eganville, and and then about a couple minutes into the conversation, he would turn around again and say, "And you are again." She was, uh, "I'm your granddaughter," and and this gentleman, that's my husband John, and he would yeah. do this. We'd be there for maybe half an hour, and he would then did about five times to yeah. ask who we were and that. And then at one time, he would call her by her mom's name. Yes, and I think I think they see the resemblance, and they're thinking way back. So if you look like your your mom. Mm-hmm. they're seeing your mom at a younger age when they're looking yes. at you now, right? And that's way back. Uh, one person explained to me, because I said, like, how can he not remember what we did today? That he knows yep. what he ha- happened in the military years ago. Yep. And they said, your brain's like an onion. If you think of it like an onion, when you're peeling the outer layers, they come off very easily. There are recent memories. As you get closer to the middle, it's nice and tightly fitted in there. And they're harder to peel open. And those are your long ago memories. So they, they don't leave you quite as quick. And it made a lot of sense to me. It does. And I always say that that's a wife syndrome. Because my wife, I can ask her something and she'll ask me something about that. And I'll say, I already told you about that. But if something I did wrong, she'll remember that for 10 <laughs> 15 years. And she'll bring it back up again 10 years later. I call it wife syndrome, not Alzheimer's. Like <laughs> men have selective hearing. <laughs> Exactly. She won't remember what I told her yesterday, but she'll remember that thing I did wrong about 10 years ago and what time it was and what day it was. Oh, gosh. Um, One thing I'd like to tell you is, uh, because we keep going back and forth, dementia and Alzheimer's. Dementia is the umbrella. And it's got all different diseases under it that can get dementia. Alzheimer's is one of them. Parkinson's is one of them. Uh, Lewy body is one of them. Um, And seven years ago, there were 70 diseases under that dementia umbrella. Now there's over 100. So it's getting worse. We yeah. need to educate ourselves. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't even realize that the dementia and all the umbrella, because I didn't put into, I just thought Alzheimer's, dementia are basically the same thing. So I'm glad no. you Yeah. No. So going on to your book then, mm-hmm. let us know, like, why did you write the book? What was your um, goal for it? Because I know people nowadays, they're like, unless you're a top 100 book in uh, the New York stock exchange or something like that. Yeah, it's not like exactly. people are making lots of money off of books. Um, no. 
what was the reason behind writing the book? And tell us a little bit more about the book itself. Well, like I said, there was no help when we first got the diagnosis. Like, what do I do from here? Who do I go and see? Who's going to tell me what to expect and when to expect it? And what do I do about it? Uh, there was no trials that he could get on. Any trial started at 55 and older. He was too young, so they wouldn't let him on it. Mm-hmm. So I felt alone. Um, there was support groups, but I mean, I was youngest one there. Most people had it in their later years. They were a help to me because I could vent and I could cry. And they did have some answers for me of what they'd experienced. And I could give them what I was going through and how I was dealing with it. So I wanted to give back. I wanted to put down in a book what we went through, how we dealt with it to relieve some of the frustration, not only for myself, but for Steve as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we beat ourselves up. I wasn't a saint. I made mistakes, but you learn from the mistakes and you don't do it again. You know, um, so we're, we just got to tell ourselves we're human. And if I did it wrong last time, I can't do it that way because it didn't work for him. I've got to do it a different way. Um, one of the things that I remember was I was walking down the hallway. He was in the bathroom and he had the deodorant and he was rubbing it up and down his chest. And I, my reaction, this was early on in it, was, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And immediately I knew I shouldn't have done that because his face was embarrassment, scared. And I just, I stopped right away and said, you have to put it under your arm, Steve. And then he was okay. But they have such a deep reaction because they don't even know they're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then if, if they see that you're upset or you're confused about what they're doing, it just makes them more confused and more agitated. And it just keeps going worse. It doesn't get better. Like putting his shoes on. If he was having a hard time, I would stop and stand up. And I'd put my hand on his cheek so I could get him to look in my eyes yeah. and say, okay, we're going to try that again. And it's going to go okay this time, so don't worry. And then I would start again, and it would go fabulous the second time around. But the first time, he could see he was doing it wrong, and he'd keep trying to put his foot in a different area because he couldn't see where the shoe was, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So just taking your time, stop and pause. So I, I thought, i got to put this down on paper. And if I don't publish it, well, then it was therapy for me putting it down. And I had a couple of really good friends read it through in my drafts. And they said, you have to put this out there because they could relate to it. And one of my friends, her husband had cancer and it had gone to his brain. And she saw a lot of similarities of things that I was experiencing. And she was in tears. And so I'm really glad I did put it out. I've got great comments back. And when I fly to Arizona now, I donate a book on every flight. I ask the head steward to pick a random seat and give it to somebody. And 90% of the time that person has just had somebody diagnosed. Mm. Like I I can't get over that. Yeah. So I feel like I've done the right thing. Um, I I held back on a lot of things that I didn't put in the book because I thought I don't want it too long and people be bored. They wouldn't want to read it. But now I'm wishing that I had put it out there. You know, I'm glad that you did put this out there because I'm sure everybody has had at least somebody in their life that's gone through this. And it's unfortunate. I mean, I don't like saying that because that means that this is happening a lot because you don't want to see anybody get sick. But it's unfortunate. It is happening at every household, I'm sure. 
And well, when you think back, seventy last uh, seven years ago, there's over a hundred now. So yeah, it's out there. And when you were writing the book, was the whole time you were writing it, were you expect? Like, I know you said your friends said, "Oh, you got to get it out there." Was when you first started putting it to paper, was it with the intention of "I'm going to put this into a book," or was this more just a diary for yourself? And then with your friends convincing you, that's where it became a book. I wrote it like a book. Okay. Um, thinking I would like to put it out there, but I really wasn't sure. I just thought I'm just going to keep filling it in sure. because when I, I made a list of the different subjects that I wanted to cover that were uh -huh. in my mind. Um, but when every time I sat down, it just flowed yeah. and I could sit there for a couple of hours and it just kept coming out. My memories were so fresh and I thought I'm doing this for me and I'm doing it for Steve and anybody else that is experiencing it. Um, all I want them to do is tell me that they got something out of the book mm -hmm. and it was, it was the right thing to do. No, definitely. And I'm looking at uh, your website now. There's room that people can even put like uh, um, reviews and testimonials. Like I'm, I'm looking at it right now and you've got all the way from the States and everywhere. People just commenting about your book, all five star ratings. So obviously it's helped a lot of people. Uh, and I'm not just talking you've got a couple on there. You've got like, yeah, there's lots. I'm looking at, there's lots on there. And that's probably just some of what you probably get in. Um, so I, I think people would be um, able to take advantage of what's in this book. I think you should go get it. If you go to her website, sonyadisher.com, uh, you can see there where you, a little bit more about the book. And also it shows here you have it on Amazon, uh, both Canadian and the American Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Indigo. They can get Kindle versions if they don't yes. want to buy it an actual purchase of a book right. like this they can actually and, read it online yeah kindle and kobo online yeah. um and, and i saw it's a hardcover and soft cover too either one yep. i've got the yes. soft cover here yeah and i'm working towards getting an audiobook out as well somebody's going to do the audiobook for me um i would like to say though amazon.ca allows third person people to buy things and resell it at Okay. inflated prices and that's what's happening right now on .ca so if you're going to buy in Canada go to Barnes and Noble or Indigo and yeah. Indigo chapters and they've got the right price yeah. um, the states.com amazon.com they've got it right but it's so I've got them working on that to fix it yeah I'm looking at that now you go to uh, Indigo and I think it uh, it was just yeah it says here uh, um, seven dollars uh, so yeah, it's not an expensive look book. Look at the soft then, cover, though. Uh, yeah, this just says, uh, well, that's, uh, oh, paperback, twenty four ninety nine. Right. But if you look yeah. on Amazon.ca, uh, Amazon, it's it over $30. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. And yeah. they even had one on there last week. I keep checking it every couple of days. They had a used version for 55 and then a collector's version for 85 Like, who's going to pay that? Exactly. <laughs> I even sent them a message and said, like, this is my book. Yeah, and there is no what collector's kind of a, edition. There's no they're collectors. Collectors. They're all collectors. They're all the same right. book. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Shop around yeah, out there go, and get it. Yeah, if you go to Barnes & Noble. Um, now, is Barnes & Noble, is that Canadian or is that um, Canadian American? and the U.S. Yeah. Okay, because it says here, hardcover 22, paperback 1699. I, I oh, think that's, that's American US. prices. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, they I mean, it's well it worth the price. price. Yeah, they have it in Cole's book store here oh, in Pembroke. Cool. Okay. And um, Hamilton's Gas Bar has it. 
and yep. so does April's Attic have it, and so does Fresco's, the restaurant. They have. Okay, yes. I've signed some and left them there. And I'm looking at like it's it's a good book. It's it looks really really thick, which it is. It's a lot of information there, but it's only 130 pages or whatever. And lots there's some beautiful pictures up there of you and your family with your husband and your son and your daughter in there, and uh, and it's a great book where it basically. Uh, takes you through the whole journey, I guess, from, yes. um, from just from the start and through the whole, it gives a little background about you guys. And then it gets into the start of when it started happening. And through that whole six years, he even talks a little bit about, uh, when his unfortunate passing happened. And, um, I think there's a lot here that can help a lot of people out there. There's, I, I like too how in the back, you've also got helpful resources for people. You got the Alzheimer's society of Ontario, uh, of America, uh, there's a SW dessert chapter office in central Arizona region. So you've got lots of different areas that people can turn to if they need it. Um, do you have any, um, uh, we're coming near the end of it here. And before we do, I always ask my guests if they have any advice now, but before we get to that, um, what are some advice, not final words, but some advice that you would give people that um, if they think that somebody that they're close to is going through this or, because a lot of them probably think that, uh, I don't want to say anything. They're going to be mad at me because they're probably just, they just forgot about that or this, or they're too embarrassed to go to the doctor and say, I think my husband or my wife or my daughter, or whatever is going through this. Um, what kind of advice would you give them to what to look for? Well, the earliest that you can get it diagnosed and get them on the, the main medication for it, uh, it slows it down. But if you wait too long, it doesn't. So the earlier you can get diagnosed, the better. Maybe it isn't this, but it's better to know than not know. Yeah. Um, and everybody kept saying to me that I should put them in a home. You'll know when you're ready. Don't let somebody tell you that you've got to do it. Um, I did take their advice and put them into respite uh, once every two weeks for a weekend. I still went down there every day with them, but I got a good sleep at night. And you really have to look after yourself so that you can look after them. Mm -hmm. um, just because they went downstairs and forgot something doesn't mean they've got Alzheimer's. Exactly. But he was having problems with his fine motor skills. Um, if you asked him to go and get a screw, he brought something back that was not a screw. Yeah. Um, so if they're doing things that are really out of the ordinary, then I would say get him checked. I had a phone call the other day. Uh, actually an email from somebody that attended my talk down in Arizona yep. and she had said that she got a lot out of the talk she got a lot out of my book but could I call her okay. so I did and her mother um, has dementia and she wanted some advice and I said I'm not a doctor but I can give you advice on what we experienced and how we dealt with it and I suggested that because she was having some issues and I suggested that her father take her mother for a checkup but say that they were both going to get a checkup because of getting health insurance going to the states so that she wasn't being picked on because i found that with steve if i put it on me he was okay do anything for me yeah. um, if i said you have to do this then that was not the way to approach it so i told her to get the father to say we're going to both do this and i said mm -hmm. he can make a fake appointment for himself if he wants to but at least it'll get her in and checked Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have to do that, put it on you instead of them. Exactly. Exactly. And before we go, do you have any anything you'd like to, other than the book, of course, go buy the book. I'm 
tell me that now. But anything else that you got coming up? Do you have any speaking engagements? Do you do speaking engagements? Do you have any um, workshop? Anything that's coming up that you'd like to advertise for everybody? I do. I do do speaking engagements. I did one at a memory clinic in the states, the summit, and that went really well. Um, Banner Hospital down in the states is is really big, and they have an Alzheimer's Institute as well. They actually put an article in their Beacon newsletter under their caregiver corner, and they wrote up on me, which was great. Um, when I go back, I'm going to be doing another talk down there, and I'm going to go to the dementia task force and get that experience of what it's like. Um, and I want to get in touch with the local politicians here. I have written to a couple of them and I've had no response, but there's some things we need to bring back to Canada. They are so much more advanced in the States than we are. Okay. Um, one great thing is their airports have a lanyard. If you've got somebody with dementia, you can go there. They give you a lanyard that's a special color. And everybody that works there knows that this person has dementia. Okay. And they've been trained to how to approach them, not to center them out if they're saying something weird or, or if they look lost, you know why. Um, and they get them dementia accredited. There's all kinds of businesses that they do that for. Both uh, the Phoenix and the Mesa Airport have done that. They've got a moving company down there that has been accredited. They'll go in and take a picture of every room and cupboard in your house and set your new place up to look just like it so that it's not such a drastic change for that person. I think it's wonderful. So I'd like to try and get some things implemented here. Very cool. And anybody that's interested in anything that Sonia is doing um, or you want to see that video, that eight-minute video that she has on her website, just go to her website. I'll put it up on the screen there for you, soniadisher.com, S-O-N-I-A-D-I-S-C-H-E-R, so soniadisher.com. You can find that video on there, Experience 12 Minutes in Alzheimer's Dementia. You're going to see basically a little bit of what she's going to go through when she goes down to Arizona, and it, it probably puts it in perspective for a lot of people. If you want to purchase the book, she's got it linked on there where you can purchase it the Barnes and Noble and Indigo and the Kindle versions, um, Amazon USA and hold off on Amazon Canada for now until she gets that fixed up, but uh, go purchase the book. Or if you're here local in the Pembroke, Ontario, Canada region, she named off a bunch of different places. You can get it at it, Fresco's and um, Cole's bookstore and a bunch of other places. Uh, the book is called dealing with early onset Alzheimer's love, laughter and tears. I want to thank you, Sonia, for coming on here and sharing your story. I know it's still pretty fresh. It's only been about five, six years, but I think you're helping a lot of people by coming out and talking about your story. And I'm, I'm honored that you came on here and talked. Thank you so much today. for having me. Thank you. No, thank you. And uh, until next time, I hope everybody has an amazing day. And remember, if anybody asks, say the butler did it.